0: Well, I'd like to say a special welcome on this episode of the OHL podcast to our listeners in Hamilton and in Barrie, where they served cupcakes in the media room this past weekend. But as I was making my way to the broadcast booth in Barrie with my nachos and pizza, one of the fans that saw me making my way to the broadcast booth wondered if I had paid for that food. The answer, yes, because otherwise I only would have had a cupcake to eat. Before the game, I got a little bit of flack from the folks in Niagara. I'm not trying to embarrass embarrass anybody, but I got a little bit of flack for maybe sort of kind of picking on the Niagara media room. I might take chips, dip, and cookies over cupcakes, but that's a whole other story. And the fans in Hamilton, who I think for the most part recognize, I don't want them to lose OHL hockey. I just think their city council is bungling this completely and turning their back on a good entertainment product for your city. Nonetheless, I got some. Great feedback in person from fans in Hamilton and in Barrie on the weekend. And I'm glad you're along for this episode of the OHL podcast, which of course is presented by Matt Smith goaltending for a personal and individualized approach to goaltending train where elite goaltenders are created. Check them out online at MattSmithGoaltending.com. Dan Mahar, of course, along for the ride this week. And I guess Dan, the biggest news in the Ontario hockey league comes from the market that you and I follow most closely and that is Kitchener where Chris Dennis was relieved of his duties as head coach on a game day no less the Rangers promptly went out and won two games on the weekend but let's get your take as we start things off and I've said plenty already uh, on the coaching decision made by the Kitchener Rangers.
1: Yeah, I have first off, yeah, you hate to see anyone lose a job. So there's there's that right off the bat. And I think Chris Dennis came in with the best intentions and then and did did what he felt was his best for the team. And things as Mike McKenzie put it in the interview post firing, things just for whatever reason didn't click. And I think that was very apparent to everyone. It was just not clicking. And when you whenever you have a case of a team that looks a lot better on paper than they do on the ice, Something's going to give and a lot of changes had been made in Kitchener. Time was granted to the coaching staff to deal with injuries and different things that have plagued that team through the season. But no matter the circumstances, there was just never any momentum. Things were not clicking. I think most fans could watch that product on the ice and just have trouble figuring out exactly what they were trying to accomplish without much organization or pace, pretty soft in their own zone. And knowing that the talent was definitely there to to do much better. So, unfortunately, while you hate seeing anyone lose their job, I think it was just a, a matter of it it had to happen. Um, it was too late in the season to let this go on any longer.
0: Yeah, so the reality of this situation, uh, I'm going to be with you. Like, I I hate when the stuff like this happens. I recognize that for the reasons that you just outlined, it, it has to in some cases. Fortunately, it... Rarely, if ever, plays out the way it did for Bruce Boudreau, for example, in Vancouver. But, you know, even as I mentioned Bruce's name, there was a headline in in one of the papers I was scanning through just today that said the Toronto Maple Leafs should fire Sheldon Keefe and hire Bruce Boudreau. So that's right there in the headlines. Coaches recognize that, obviously, at the pro level and even at the Ontario Hockey League or the CHL level, because they all know and they'll tell you, hired To be fired. So I'm obviously in a bit of a unique position when this sort of thing happens, because I work very closely with the coaches of the Kitchener Rangers and really coaches around the league. They become certainly with the team that I cover, the Rangers, they become almost like colleagues. We talk a lot. We spend a lot of time together. You develop personal relationships with them. To be honest, over 47 games, I had not yet developed much of a personal relationship, bluntly, with Chris Dennis because there hadn't been a whole lot of time. But I really do hate when this happens, even though I understand that it has to. And this was a case where, look, I'm not going to say for one second that I can sit in the broadcast booth and say he shoots, he scores, and at the same time claim to understand all of the nuances of coaching, really definitively what a well-coached team looks like versus a poorly coached team. There are some nuances that I'm just not going to pick up just because of the way I look at the game. Broad strokes, sure, you can point to things here and there. What was it that Chris Dennis was doing or not doing that was preventing the Rangers from having the kind of success that the paper tells us they should be having, that pundits like me were saying before the season they should be having? I don't really know what the missing ingredient was there. And if there was something I would be upfront and honest about it. I don't know what happens behind closed doors when they're practicing. I don't get to see every practice when they're in the locker room, having pregame talks, looking at video, whatever. I'm not privy to any of that stuff. So we'll just park that over there. And again, I'll just say how much I hate when this sort of thing happens. The big thing for me, two things. I'll start with what I think I saw this past weekend In the two games, the Rangers played without Chris Dennis behind the bench. It seemed to me it was almost like the thoroughbreds were put out into the pasture and said, go, just go gallop. There was a little bit less in the way, what I thought anyway, of structure. When you enter the zone, these are the options you have. It was more, seemed to me, freestyle in terms of offensive creativity. The other thing I will say about this is because we know how this business works, And because we know that something like this was almost inevitable, given the fact that the Rangers much more was expected of them and they weren't delivering on it, I thought this might have happened sooner. And when it didn't happen, and I was on record as saying this, I got calls all the time on the post-game show that I host as well. We got to fire the coach. You got to do this, you got to do that. And I said flat out, yes, these are the kinds of situations that teams find themselves in. And it leads to a coaching change. It just does because more is expected. It's not being delivered. My belief was after the Rangers lost their seventh game in a row after Christmas, it was a home ice loss on a Friday night to the Oshawa Generals. There was time after that game before the next game. I thought if the coaching change is going to be made, it would have been made then seven losses in a row. The last loss coming to a team that had, unloaded at the deadline when the Rangers loaded up and you had time prior to the next game when it didn't happen then I convinced myself and anybody who would ask you know what if they didn't do it then then they're not going to do it and then seemingly suddenly again the record notwithstanding and the underperformance notwithstanding on a game day The morning of a game, the announcement is made that Chris Dennis is no longer the coach. And boy, oh boy, what a 24 hours we had in Kitchener on Friday. Did it have anything to do with the post-game comments from a Wednesday night loss in London? I got a lot of feedback about that. I don't know. The organization says, no, this was just something they had to do. But boy, oh boy, it seemed to happen at a time that I didn't think it would based on what I was guessing earlier.
1: Yeah, and the comments you're talking about, Mike, was, of course, when Chris Dennis said that his team had no clue how to manage the puck and protect a lead. And I think that might have, if anything, had been a final straw, I guess. And you talk about things like the timing and whatnot and that seven-game losing streak. If it wasn't going to happen then, when was it going to happen? I think there's all kinds of these things. I think Mike McKenzie had an awful lot of patience here. He respected Chris Dennis. He was his guy who wanted to give him a fair shot. You have the trade deadline. You want to give it several weeks after the trade deadline to try and figure out what you got. Let guys acclimatize. At some point, the excuses run out though, and the calendar runs out as well. And, and you look at a team that's in ninth place, eighth, ninth place that should probably be top five at least. And you start to ask yourself, is this going to get better? And just, it seemed like every step forward, this team took every time there were little few signs, there were two steps backwards and and the plug had to be pulled. And, And you're right, we could go down the rabbit hole of overanalyzing exactly everything that went wrong. And was it all on Chris Dennis? Obviously not. A lot of blame to go around in terms of how things have gone in Kitchener so far this year. But I think the overarching comment I would make about what we saw is just coaches need to first understand the type of players they have, the type of team they have, and then coach that type of team. And I think if you come in with too hardened a mindset about what type of team you're going to be, or how you're going to play, or what type of system, it, it you can undermine yourself when you go when you go forward and realize that's not quite the team you had, and you you talk about the team we saw this weekend, Mike, and I think the subtle tweak Mike McKenzie made is he looks and he sees a back end with Roman Schmidt, Hunter Brustavich, Thomas Hamara, uh, all these, Leighton Moore, all these. Puck movers who are not particularly physical. And he says, you know what? Let's, the less time we spend in our own zone, the better. For this team to be effective, we need to be north, south, up ice quickly, not a passive man to man, follow around the zone type of team. Cause then when the other team has the puck and possession time goes up, that's not a team that's built to be successful. And I think Mike McKenzie wanted to see that like you said, more free-form, free-flowing attack mentality. And sometimes it's just as simple as that. Understanding the team you have, employing that team, playing to their strengths, not their weaknesses, and early returns are we're seeing a little more of the team we should see. It's a bit of a new coach bump, sure, but I think you're seeing a team play the way it probably should play.
0: So the time of the season that this happens becomes pretty intriguing to me, and I'm sure for the Kitchener Rangers organization, uh maybe even I don't know if it's concerning, but something you have to be you have to think they're watching. And that is it came after 47 games, so 21 games to go, now down to 19. You talk about the early returns and that new coach bump, if you will. But for the Kitchener Rangers, as you said, coming into the season, maybe you'd pencil them in for no worse than fifth. It's a pretty long climb still from the position they're in right now in eighth all the way up to fifth you look at Saginaw falling relatively precipitously Flint is not having the best second half the Guelph storm on the other hand keep hanging around and hanging around the Owen sound attacker never an easy out so I don't know how high you can climb in the time that you have left this season if you're the Kitchener Rangers you still at this point I'm sure the idea is Just go into the playoffs, playing the right way, feeling good about yourselves, and then obviously anticipate an upset. But boy, oh boy, Windsor, London, Sarnia would appear to be one of the three teams you'll be facing when the playoffs begin. And that's going to be a tall order no matter how well you're playing.
1: Yeah, Mike, I think you just probably outlined the thought process Mike McKenzie went through over the last week when he ruminated on this decision because... You start to see markers and milestones and goals you have for your team over the course of the season, and and as you see the loftier ones fall off the chart of reality, at some point you got to ask yourself, we got to stop the bleeding while well, some of these goals are still attainable. And like you said, there's three teams in the West for sure that you that you can't catch, three perches you're not going to get to. So you named all those other teams. I think an outside chance you might you might get to fourth with an extremely hot streak, but realistically you're looking probably sixth or seventh. So, like you said, I think the goals have changed now for those Kitchen Rangers, Mike. It's it's start playing the right way, build some consistency, build some belief inside the room and hope that you can take down one of those giants because in those 47 games, you've kind of run yourself out of runway to get a favorable matchup in the first round of the playoffs. Not that there's a great one in the West anyway, but you certainly don't want to have they didn't think they were going to be facing a Sarnia Windsor or London going into the first round at the start of the season. Now that's the reality. So recalibrate the expectations and try and at least be doing things the right way before that starts.
0: Taking the longer view here, organizationally, and I'm taking this from the viewpoint of a fan who, again, called the aforementioned postgame show. And I'll be honest, I shot him down pretty quick because I didn't want to have the conversation at this point at least not on that particular post-game show. It was the day that Chris Dennis was let go. The Rangers go out. They lay a whooping on the Hamilton Bulldogs, 8-1. to And then one of the calls on the post-game show that night was around the jobs of Mike McKenzie and Joe Birch, the general manager and chief operating officer. Look, I get it when you're in the weeds and if you're a fan that's grown frustrated with waiting for the next championship in Kitchener. I just said at that moment, and I would say again, now, look, what you and I just talked about is what the primary concern is for this hockey club. They just made a coaching change, two thirds of the way into the season. The goal is absolutely to get beyond the first round, dare I say, well beyond the first round, you'll be an underdog each time. You'll be starting on road ice each time, but the goal has got to be that same deeper playoff run we can talk organizationally about the Kitchener Rangers at lots of times down the road I will say again this when it comes to Mike McKenzie knowing him the way that I do I've gotten to know him over a decade now one of the most competitive people I have ever met as a general manager I've really liked the performance he has put in he built a team in 2018 that was one shot essentially away from a Western conference championship. He built a team again, two years later that we didn't get to see the fruits of because COVID shut down that season. And boy, oh boy, that was a real good hockey club with arguably the best goaltender in the league at the time and Jacob Ingham. So we don't know what that would have achieved. And now he's got a team that I still think looks pretty damn good on paper. We just haven't seen the results on the ice. So as a general manager, I've got zero qualms about this guy. Joe Birch is highly regarded, was before he came to the organization. I've got lots of time for him having gotten to know him over the years, but also he's really in his first year, right? Because the pandemic messed up everything else. So as chief operating officer, again, you can take a longer view and have a conversation around no championships since 2008. That's fair, especially in a market like Kitchener which is regarded and rightly so as one of the premier markets in the league. But I wasn't ready to have that conversation the night of the coach's firing. I don't know that it's a relevant conversation, even as you and I sit here today. But the one thing I will add to it is this, having said what I said about Mike McKenzie and really liking his job as a GM, I know from talking to him and he told me in interviews that are public, he wants to be a GM. He does not want to be a coach. Mike, maybe you want to reconsider that because you are 65 37 seven and two as a head coach which is which is clipping along at about a 600 winning percentage just put that out there <laughs> well i think i think a few of the veteran coach gms
1: in the ohl have said recently that it's a two-person job now there was a day and age when you could do both roles but now it's just a lot and i think mike mckenzie clearly leans on the side of gm and and you know anyone can criticize anyone at any given time in the, hockey world. the No one's perfect. I've criticized uh, Mike McKenzie to some extent around what I feel is a bit of a nondescript fourth line without clear roles or specializations and a little bit of lack of grid on this team. But all in all, Mike McKenzie's done, he's a bold gem. He's done a great job of building up the team, acquiring the assets he needs and trying to deliver for this market. So I think, yeah, he's absolutely cut out for the role. And I thought what was interesting in that whole news item last week was COO Joe Birch saying that the one thing they're looking forward to this offseason is getting it right on the coaching hire this time and I thought that was an interesting comment because clearly that's their takeaway from all this that maybe put a little more thought and effort into this And it's not a slam on Chris Dennis but it's more to make sure you're getting a right fit this time because coaching can be everything in this league and if you don't get it right you can see what what can happen you can't just throw skill on the ice and hope that it works so so i found those comments interesting but i think the tandem at the top uh, of the kitchen rangers organization to the chagrin of some fans is is doing a good job and i think they're going to be here for a while
0: they definitely took a different approach with chris dennis who came with a really impressive resume but hadn't been a head coach at this level excuse me before so that was obviously the different direction it'll be interesting to see where that next direction takes them when they quote unquote, get it right. But I will tell you this, and I have zero influence. I'd I'd like to make that clear, but it was intriguing that two coaches have already reached out to me to express interest in the now (laughs) vacant position. As I told them, Hey guys, go ahead, throw your hat into the ring, you know, rah, rah, go team. I I don't know, but maybe I'll just say to the Rangers organization, if there's any influence at all, Just watch the first couple of resumes that come in. They might be worth uh, considering. That's all. Throw it out there. (laughs) They know you're not the GM or CEO, though, correct? Like, as far uh, as I know, yeah. I, it says pretty clearly in my Twitter bio, I'm just a guy with a big mouth. So I don't know. Just ask the fans in Niagara and Barry.
1: <laughs> well, I know sometimes for the fan feedback I get, I'm not sure they don't know. I'm not the GM. So, But I, I, I do relay your concerns. I, li- I love hearing your concerns.
0: So. Okay. Um, so let's move on to something else that got me me and my big mouth into more trouble than I thought it might have. I I just kind of floated out – on social media that I think the OHL QMJHL crossover uh, with Ottawa and, and Gatineau is like dumb. Like I just, and, and, and I don't like, so I do, I do because these are two different leagues and, you know, when, when Ottawa is having an off year, do you think the other teams in the queue wouldn't love a chance to pick up four easy points against the team in the other league and and that's just the point that that bothers me i know it's two games out of 68 it's four points out of 136 i i get you potential points but i i just i don't know why other than the geographical rivalry and apparently people up in the capital region of ontario absolutely love this to death and i heard from some folks in the queue too i get it like that you love it and that they're separated by 13 mere kilometers, but I'm sorry. I I don't know that having leagues crossover for regular season games is a, is a gimmick that I want to see. I don't know. I anyway. So I called it dumb. I don't know your thoughts, but clearly the fans love it. I'm just, as an observer of the game, don't love that you get regular season points against a team that nobody else is allowed to play.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I lose this argument oftentimes where it's a sort of a marketing promotional initiative that the league loves, some casual fans love, I get it, it's drawing up new audiences, it's showcasing your league to new sets of fans, all those things probably trump any argument I have, but I, I always stress when things tamper with the integrity of, of the standings of the competition, and and you're absolutely right, this happens to be a year when both Gatineau and Ottawa are strong teams. So I'm not sure there was necessarily an advantage to be gained there, but the 67s could argue, well, why are we having to cross the border and play a powerhouse or vice versa? Um, The only thing I take from it, knowing that I'm probably losing that argument that this, this thing kind of messes with the integrity of the Ontario hockey league standings are that maybe the Ontario hockey league teams can use it as a bit of a litmus test. and, And when you saw how easily those, Gatineau Olympic handled the Ottawa 67s, who are a very strong team. Maybe it's a little bit of a wake-up call for the entire OHL. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't love anything like unbalanced schedules, anything that kind of could be used to to suggest that things aren't quite equal footing to start.
0: I think the point around it, and trust me, I get this the the marketing aspects of this, getting more eyes on and more interest in games in either league anywhere across the CHL. I'm all for it because you know how much I love this league. I think I've made that clear. But yes, integrity is a good word. The integrity of the standings, I think, comes into play here, whether it's two games or 22 games. I just don't love it for that reason. Maybe dumb was a bit of a hyperbolic statement, but what else is Twitter for? So I called it dumb. Shoot me. This brings up though, something else, when you talk about that litmus test, Dan, and I know you've been on record on this podcast is talking about it before, but we will have a Memorial cup played later this year between three leagues, the dub, the Q and the O that play at least in part under different rules in their leagues. And you don't love this aspect of it.
1: No, I just, uh, maybe it's traditionalist. Maybe I'm just grumpy. I just feel like if you're going to compete for the same trophy, you should play by the same rules. And, I know you look at baseball and the American league and national league always had quirky differences in the rules and they played for this world series, but they weren't competition affecting differences in the rules really. Uh, Where I have a problem here, Mike is both the WHL and the Quebec league. You can trade first round picks. You can trade them multiple years out. You can, there's more cards you can use in a year. And these are types of things that tend to lead to certain teams being super loaded in those leagues after the trade deadline whereas there's limitations on how much teams can load up in the OHL. And quite frankly, I like the way the OHL does it. You want to kind of limit those transactions a little. You don't want to have these silly years where teams add 10 players and mortgage their entire future, like we saw in the WHL this year. But at the same time, you want to allow some trades and some movement so teams can go for it in the years that they're built to. But it just seems to me you're putting the, the OHL... At a disadvantage competing for that memorial cup when they couldn't add quite as much as their com- competition was allowed to
0: speaking of cards this is a tangent but i'm sure you heard like i did the challenges right now that they're having in niagara to the point that they dressed captain landon cato even though he wasn't healthy enough to play but they dressed him anyway i'm assuming the reason you would do that is because Without having dressed him, you wouldn't have had enough to play a game. Like, I don't know. But the craziest part about that is because he was dressed but not playing, they sent him across the ice to serve a five-minute penalty. And then when the penalty ended, he almost ended up getting back into the play because of the way things worked out. It was just – it was so bizarre. And all I can think about is that this is an organization that thinks – should qualify to host the Memorial cup next year. Unreal to me.
1: Yeah. And you know, when you, you talk about the reflections upon the media room menu and this is next level, when you're talking about on, on the ice. And I think who couldn't have predicted this? I mean, we, we all like to think we're the better coaches and better GMs and all these people holding these positions, even though as ridiculous as that may sound. But one of the things you like to hope is happening at those levels is that they have the very basic needs and interests of the team at heart. And, when you ship around so many players early and go through burn through so many cards and trading players, you just acquired and even casual fans could say, yeah, this is probably going to lead to issues down the road. And and I think you just described one of those issues.
0: Uh, And I should correct myself. I mean, this year, of course, for the Memorial cup, which reminds me of a question that we got this past week. I think it came in via one of our YouTube channel comments and forgive me for forgetting the name off the top of my head, but whoever it was, was wondering who we think is going to host the Memorial Cup this year. I'm pretty sure we've covered this and covered this pretty clearly, but I'm definitely on Team Saginaw. What about you?
1: Yeah, I've been pretty clearly on Team Saginaw for, since those cities were announced as as competitors as well for, for a number of reasons. I, I think they've done a lot of things right. They're built for that year. Uh, they've got a great fan base. It'd be nice to move it south of the border for a change when you have franchises down there. So yeah, I'm Team Saginaw.
0: Yeah, so the bids are in, the announcement will come in March for next year's Memorial Cup. It just it really surprises me that a team in the state that Niagara is in thinks that it's even got a snowball's chance, but it's Niagara, Sault Ste. Marie, Kingston, and Saginaw in the running. And yes, you and I think that the whatever challenges there may exist with the Dow Event Center as, as an arena, like Sioux and Kingston have the, the nicest, well, actually St. Catharines might have the best arena overall, But franchise-wise, it's hard to beat, I think, what Saginaw has on the ice even this year. And they look that much better, that much better position for a year from now as the potential uh, Memorial Cup host. So we'll find that out in about a month's time now, uh, what that decision is ultimately going to be. Okay, we still have to talk on this episode of the OHL podcast about something that I wish we never had to talk about. But... I don't know why the league is making me some of the teams in the league are making us have these conversations but we're going to get to that in just a quick second Okay, so let's talk about the three star selections. I don't want to have to do this, but it keeps being thrown into my face. I used to rant and rave about this. I've given up a little bit on both the ranting and the raving, but I'm I'm just here to say, I, I truly do not understand it. People will flag what they believe to be flagrant fouls on the three star selections and send me tweets about it or pictures of the actual selections you know screenshots of the actual selections because in a one goal game or an overtime game or something like that even sometimes believe it or not the visiting team wins and can't manage to get a star from that road arena i don't understand this shouldn't be that hard or is it just me
1: No, it absolutely should not be that hard. And I think I'm with you on this one where if you're going to have the charade of the three stars, which some fans like take it seriously, or just don't do it because, and and the only word of advice I'd give to anyone picking these stars. And if you feel yourself conflicted about, Oh, you know, it was a one goal game. We probably should give stars to both teams, but I really liked all three get these guys on my team. Use the principles of good hosting, be gracious, be gracious, be respectful, be sportsmanlike. If you have someone over to your house, you don't go to your fridge and get yourself a drink first. Think of things that way. If it's a close game, probably at least one of the stars has to go to the other team. Like you said, not that hard.
0: I love the way you put that with the principles of good hosting because I was thinking about it like this. You called it a charade, the three stars. Maybe it is. I've heard a lot of people squawk about it and that's fine. But the bottom line is, that's still what it is right it's called the three stars it's not called the three home stars it's not called the player of the game if you'd like this to change by all means let's have the conversation about changing three stars of the game or call it a player of the game or call it the three home stars like we can have all of these conversations cuz i i don't know how much i i really care but what i do care about is that It's the three stars, just like Texaco wanted hockey night in Canada to do about a hundred years ago. And you pick two from the winning team and one from the losing team, unless it's a blowout. It's really that simple. There are three stars to hand out. The winning team can have two of those stars. The losing team can have one of those stars, unless the winning team won like five nothing or eight one or something like that. Then go ahead, find all three stars to the winning team. But if the winning team, is the visiting team in your building, you can give them all three stars too. That's the way it should work. It's really not that tough.
1: And to prove it's not that tough, Mike, we've been in a number of buildings where they do get it right. And the home team did lose by a lot. The visiting team gets all three stars. The home team lost, the visiting team gets two stars. Most occasions, the visiting team gets at least one star. So there are a lot of buildings that are getting it right, proving it is not that hard.
0: Well, and I'll just add one more little element to this. Oftentimes, I will be asked after the game, "Hey, what were the three stars?" because I announced them as part of my broadcast. And so, and thanks to bold Electric for sponsoring our three stars on the city News five seventy Rangers broadcast. but i I will always give the stars as announced in arena. And oftentimes the fan that asks me what were the three stars, they heard something different from me than what the television broadcast said on their broadcast because, they think they're so bad in house that they'll make their own stars. So that should tell you something. If even your broadcasters are not using the stars you announce in the arena, you must be doing something wrong. Just do it with integrity. Don't treat the fans as dum dums. They saw the game. They know that there was probably a good player on the other team in a close game. Just call it. Give the f- star to the other team if it's a close game. It's as simple as that.
1: Yeah, couldn't agree more. It's it's not it's not hard. Just do what's right. Have some integrity <laughs> fans. Like you said, fans are not dumb. They saw the same game, uh, a one goal game. They're probably going to be questioning why you didn't give a start to the visiting team. So save yourself some grief, do it properly.
0: Principles of good hosting. I like that. Okay. I completely gapped on this last week. I have no idea why no excuses for completely forgetting to do our prospect of the week at the end. And Dan was too kind. He was being the gracious guest and not interrupting me and my stupid flow for getting prospects of the week. So let's get into that and let's give a nod to who we were going to mention last week and then get into who you've got for this week, Dan.
1: All right, fair enough. Well, actually, I'm going to keep it simple because they're one and the same. I I didn't want to rip him off who I had last week and he had still continuing his hot play this week. So he's going to be my prospect of the week for the two-week span. And that's little off the charts because he's a 2004 birthday, passed over once, but that's Dylan Rubrik on, on the Oshawa Generals. And here's a guy who is basically given away by, by Niagara. I won't say given away, but given up on early by Niagara in the trade that they made with Oshawa. Buried a little bit in that lineup till the trades were made. And since the trade deadline has been running pretty close to a point to game. And when you're doing that and you're two hundred 200 pounds, there's going to be some NHL teams starting to notice. So I expect the name Dylan Rubrik to be thought about around NHL training camp time, if not at the draft. So he's my prospect for the two weeks.
0: It's getting closer and closer to that draft day, which makes this all the much more interesting. I think I had Cooper Foster uh, penciled in as my prospect of the week last week, not a guy that's going to blow your doors off by any stretch, but I look at him and having had a chance to see him up close recently, he's just, reliable, right? He's a third line center for you where you would expect him to be on a pretty deep Ottawa team right now. Puts in points here and there on a relatively consistent basis. He's got 30 over 47 games. So he's chipping in. I look at his last 10, five points in his last 10 games. Okay. So that's right about on par with his season. But the plus 22 is what really stands out to me. So I think he's a guy that you can count on. Again, he's not going to blow your doors off offensively or with his size, but he's just, to me, this reliable guy, maybe flying a little bit under the radar. So that's who I wanted to give it to last week. This week, I'm not going to dig deep at all. Again, there might be some recency bias here because I got to see him A couple of times up close and personal in the past week but i'm going to give my nod this week for my prospect of the week to cam allen you'll remember earlier in this season you know it was all the talk was about colby barlow callum ritchie cam allen and allen was being touted as maybe even a top 10 absolutely and i'm sure cam would tell you didn't get the start to the season that he was looking for or hoping for but from what i saw of him in this past week he's really rounded into form he's playing with confidence if not swagger he's playing physically again the numbers aren't going to blow you away just five assists in his past 10 games but i like the confidence in his game i like the fact that his shots on goal are way up he's really starting to pound the puck through and i'm a big fan always have been so from under the radar or underperforming maybe early in the season cam allen gets my nod as the prospect of the week and an honorable mention i'm going three deep here (laughs) But I mentioned Tristan Bertucci some time ago. I'm starting to hear a lot more chatter about him. Understandably, he's got 12 points, 6-6 and in his past 10, playing there with a Flint Firebirds team that hopes to hang on to a decent spot in the Western Conference before the playoffs. But I know I mentioned him quite some time ago, but when I'm hearing more chatter about him coming in, I thought I'll throw in Tristan Bertucci as an honorable mention this week.
1: Yeah, great picks, Mike. And great call on Cam Allen, because I was really, really high on him coming into the season. He was one of my top guys, pretty hard on him in the first few weeks of the season, first few months of the season. And full credit to him for turning it around. And a guy, like you said, top ten, dropped maybe out of the first round. Nice to see him working his way right back up there. So and and Bertucci, for those who said uh stay at home defenseman, yeah, right. That, that he's he said, forget that. I'm I'm demonstrating the offensive side here and what a season he's having.
0: All right. We're getting to that point of the season where it's almost time to start talking about playoffs and playoff matchups. Don Cameron was always famous for saying if the playoffs were to start today, because he hated it when that was said on a broadcast, the playoffs don't start until the playoffs start. But we are getting to those conversations about, you know, 20 games to go now in this OHL regular season. And I think we're going to have some really interesting races down the stretch. I was, in fact, chatting back and forth. with messages with a Sudbury fan just this past weekend. And I finished by telling him to enjoy the playoff push. He says, I'm more worried about what's behind us than what's in front of us right now for the Wolves. And lo and behold, then they go in on Sunday night, play the final game of the week in Oshawa. Well, they had an afternoon game because of the Super Bowl, but the Jens go and lay an eight spot on the Wolves to creep even closer to the final playoff position and put Sudbury on that brink so it's going to be an interesting run there just a note on Oshawa it caused me to take a closer look you know they're only five and five only in their past 10 they've scored 44 goals in those 10 games so the Gens are really finding some offense over the last few weeks and I'll give a nod to the Hamilton Bulldogs as well who got walloped in Kitchener uh, this past Friday as we talked about but They went out and beat the Peets the next day. So make them nine and five in their past 14. That is not bad at all for a rebuilding Bulldogs team.
1: Yeah, though, maybe we'll have to chat on next week's pod because everyone's beating the Peets right now and they they added significantly this year. So we'll have to diagnose what's happening there because I'm pretty sure there's some alarm bells going off in Peterborough as well. But yeah, full credit to Oshawa and Hamilton for, for going hard after selling.
0: If you're going to have a slump, have it five weeks or six weeks before the playoffs start instead of the week before. But yeah, Pete's are uh, struggling for some reason right now. Okay, as we wrap up this episode of the OHL podcast, looking ahead to Friday when we have our feature interview, Uh, I went really far for this one, Dan. A Kitchener kid, but played with the Kingston Frontenacs. And here's one of the interesting little pieces of trivia. Uh, Was named captain of the team and holds the record or the fastest two goals scored in Kingston Frontenac's franchise history. And the Fronts just celebrated 50 years as a franchise. So who holds the record if you want to look it up? Two goals, 10 seconds apart. By the way, he was a defenseman. Wow. Think about that, eh? I'm intrigued. I know. I can think, think of a
1: couple of Kitchener residents who played for Kingston, but you're your defenseman clue just
0: just shut them down so okay well we'll uh, let you think about that until the next episode of the ohl podcast comes out on friday that guy over there is dan mahar find him on twitter at dan mahar i'm mike farwell on twitter at farwell underscore ohl shoot us an email anytime if you've got a topic you'd like us to cover ohl podcast at rogers.com your next episode of the ohl podcast is out on friday